Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, the North Queensland Cowboys, uh, the North Queensland Cowboys are uh, and. Just one moment. I'm going to. T- oh, he's trying to call me. Call him again now, mate. Can you call him again? I was. I was. I was put off. My phone was ringing. It was Justin. So I'll get uh, Brian to call Justin, and uh, we'll get onto it. Uh, let's just have a look at the Cowboys' draw for season 2024, because not everybody is a Warriors fan. Not everybody's a Warriors fan. Their first match is a, an interesting one too. They're they're away to the Dolphins on Sunday, the tenth of March. And then they're back home against the Knights. Then away to the Dragons. Interesting news out of the Dragons too. Ronald Volkman, who picked up a one year deal, uh, has released by the Warriors. Looks like he may have that contract torn up uh, because it appears he's got a shoulder injury that'll keep him out for the season. And then the big one for them, I suppose, in many ways, is that big derby on Friday, the 29th against the. Broncos and the Cowboys. Justin Morgan joins me right now from the far north of North Queensland. Hey, mate, happy new year. Same to you, mate. How hot is it? It's not too bad today. We've had a heap of rain over the last week or so, so it's sort of cooled things down. But when the sun comes out after the rain, it gets ridiculously humid. So, uh, But we've had a little bit of uh, cooler weather the last couple of days, only 30 degrees and, you know, 75 percent 34 90 so how do you how do you how do you um manage training in conditions like this does it become all indoors when it gets excessive yeah yeah it's it's difficult we we do most of our work really early in the morning and we're at you know 6 30 a.m 7 a.m out on the field done by 8 30 but even at that time it's still very humid um we're very fortunate it's a new facility for Conditions. So we've got a, a little bit of an indoor area where we can do, you know, some contact and some, you know, some wrestling and some small-sided skill if we need to. And obviously the gym is uh, is fully air-conditioned, which makes things a little bit easier. But I think it's just one of those things that you have to get a little bit used to. Um, you know, it's not ideal. And I think, you know, we have to be aware of the cumulative effect of the heat and the humidity on the players. But... Um, it is what it is. Um, for the other eight or nine months of the year, it's beautiful up here, apparently. So I'm looking forward to the winter time when it's 25 degrees. <laughs> Stop it. Hey, I want to take you back to last year because, you know, you were part of this, uh, the Warriors campaign that uh, really uh, captured the attention of New Zealand sports followers full stop. When you look back on your final season at the Warriors, uh, is there one phrase, one word that encapsulates it? Proud. I think uh, we're extremely proud to represent the country. Primrix, you know, very proud to represent the New Zealand Warriors brand. Um, we had a couple of lean years previous to that. Uh, had a couple of coaching changes. Obviously, living in Australia because of COVID made things difficult. That affected some individuals a lot more than it affected others. And to come home and then to have a season like we did last year, you know, made me very proud to be part of a club that has been a huge part of my life. It was a huge decision for me to leave. Um, I, I feel that the club's certainly going in a great direction with the people at the helm. So um, I was I was really grateful to be part of that that season where I suppose we got the trust and the, 
you know, and the belief of the fans and, and the country back on side after, you know, like I said, a couple of lean years. So very, very happy to be part of that. Yeah, people tend to forget that you, you played for the the WAS as well, as we now we tend to call them. I mean, was has it always been tough for, for Australians to make that trip across the ditch? Was it, a, was it a hard one for you to decide when you decided to come across? It wasn't for me. Um, I, I was really excited at the time. When I came over in 2001, um, it was after the World Cup in the UK. I was fortunate enough to represent, um, you know, Wales, uh, which where my family hails from, even though the last couple of generations we've been living in Australia. Um, and when Daniel Anderson called me, he said, look, you know, I've got this job in New Zealand. We're looking to rebuild. I was really looking forward to the adventure, looking forward to the challenge professionally as a player, but also looking forward to you know, experiencing something different. I'd never been to New Zealand, certainly never lived anywhere else bar Australia. I'd lived in a couple of different cities, but you know, um, I hadn't immersed myself in a new culture. And you know, while there's a lot of similarities between New Zealand and Australia, there's also a lot of differences. Um, and I really, really enjoyed my time there as a player. And when I had a chance to come back as a, as a coach, I... I knew how much I enjoyed my time as a player, so it was a really easy decision for me. Um, I think I think for players that come to New Zealand to play for the Warriors are pleasantly surprised how beautiful the city of Auckland is and, and how nice the country is generally. Because when you come over as a player, it's generally in the middle of winter. You get off the plane at night time. It might be raining, it might be cold. You go to your hotel, you go to Mount Smart Stadium, and then you go home. You don't get to see the beauty of the the harbour and the hills and the you know there's the so much exploring that you can do in Auckland it's not until that you live there and immerse yourself in something like that that you get a, a really great appreciation for how good a place New Zealand is to live why did you want to become a coach it's a, it's a it's a good question I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after I finished playing uh, Daniel Anderson as I mentioned previously was the coach and and I said to him, look, I'm going to retire. I don't really enjoy – I enjoy playing, but I don't enjoy training anymore. So I think it's time for me to hang the boots up. And he said, what have you thought about coaching? And I thought, oh, not really. I didn't really see myself as a coach. And he said, look, you know, I think, you know, you, it might be a pathway that would be a good one for you. Um, so effectively just sent an email out to everybody that was in my contact list. I think my, back in the day it might have been a Yahoo account or something <laughs> like that. And uh, and uh, and and I got a I got a, a call back from Taz Batiri, who um, has done a lot for the international game. Uh, I think he was international development manager for the for the rugby league at the time, and said, "Would you be interested in going to France to be a player coach?" Oh, yeah, why not? That'd be another good adventure. I know my time. I love you know living in a different country, another different culture, and. And that's how it all came about. And I thought, well, if I'm going to give coaching a little bit of a go, let's go somewhere where it'll be a real test to see if I like coaching, you know, because it'll be in a foreign foreign place. I can't imagine the facilities are going to be first class. And I really love that. I really love the, the I suppose, the raw nature of just coaching. Um, I didn't sort of step into an NRL system. I didn't step into a, an under-20s or at the time a barter card cup team, which, you know, was, a, was already ready-made. I had to sort of go and cut my teeth overseas and I really enjoyed that I enjoyed the cultural differences and and after a couple of um, you know a couple of games as a player coach I realized that re- the reason why I retired I didn't like playing anymore so <laughs> I said to the to the president I said mate I think it's time for me to just coach and not play and and that's where I got the bug you know and, and I sort of explained to people as a player you get 
great enjoyment out of playing, but you only get the enjoyment out of that one person. You get the team feeling, but as a coach, you've got 17 players and you get that feeling 17 times over when you see a player play well or develop his game or achieve something in the game. You get you get a kick out of that as well. So I've um, been very fortunate that I've been able to keep coaching for 20 odd years now and um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world except for maybe you know working radio like yourself yeah oh okay fair play I thought you were going to say TV because I do I, we do miss you let's let's be blunt about that the opportunity to be a head coach in Super League how did that come about and how satisfying was that yeah it was um I was I had a little bit of success at Toulouse the club I was in with France we'd made the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup which was the first time a non-English team had made the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup so that sort of, you know, put the spotlight on the team a little bit. Um, I was very fortunate. I had a pretty good footy team. Trent Robinson was playing at the time, the current coach of the Roosters. I had a couple of other good NRL players. And um, Dave Mullenhall, I think he played for Warriors for a season or so. He, he was over there. Brad Kelly. Um, yeah, so I had a, had a pretty good team. And um, Hulkington Rovers, you know, they'd been the sort of the sleeping giant of the English game. They were a great team in the 80s, but really, really failed to to get into Super League for a number of years and they had a chairman that was extremely motivated, a CEO that was very motivated and, and they rang Tony Smith at the time who was um, coaching the Leeds Rhinos and asked him for some suggestions and I'd known Tony from my playing days, he'd coached me when I was at Parramatta and he said ring Justin Morgan, he's in Toulouse, he's only a young coach, he's just starting out but you know I know him really well, Feel as he might be a good match for you guys and uh, so Neil rang me, and, and I was quite comfortable living in France, you know, um, travelling around, travelling the world. It was, it was a beautiful time for me. Um, so I wasn't really, I wasn't itching to move anywhere, but I went up and saw Neil and Paul Aiken, um, the CEO, and they sold the club to me and said, look, you know, we, we want to be successful, want to get into Super League. And I was still very young at the time. I think I was only 29 or 30, um, maybe 31, and um, jumped at the opportunity. And, you know, we were only in the first division. We went through at a record-breaking season, made the semifinals of the Challenge Cup again. And I'm thinking, this coaching stuff, this is, this is all right. This is really cruisy. I hadn't really, you know. Uh, and then we got promoted to Super League. And, um, again, the start of Super League, I think we won four from five. Um, and, you know, so Andrew Webster was part of that crew as well, the current coach of the, the, the Warriors. So he was part of that all that success that we had over there. And I thought, this is all right. And then we went on a nine-game losing streak. So I thought, oh, yeah, now this is what coaching's about, you know. And, <laughs> and that that was tough. But that was a, a really good learning curve for, for myself and, and all the other coaches that were there. And um, we ended up surviving um, and, you know, staying in Super League, not getting relegated, which was a huge achievement. And, and yeah, and, and went from there. We, we survived the following year. Catalans came in, so we had to beat them and a couple of other teams to stay alive. And we got a licence, and then we went on and made semifinals for a couple of years after that. And, yeah, I had a ball. It was a great, a great place to cut your teeth as a coach, great place to live, um, beautiful people, still stay in contact with a lot of people over there. And I know that both Webby and myself um, loved our time over there and, and felt that it was a really good grounding for both of us with coaching. Morgs, do you have to fail to succeed as a coach? Um, I, I don't think you have to, but it helps. I, th- I think it helps. I think you have to, you have to see some dark days. You have to see some some challenges. You ha- because that will be the true test for yourself as a coach to see how true you are to to what your beliefs are, or your principles, or your philosophies, whatever those fancy words that you want to use. Um, 
it's like in any job, you know, when things are going great, it's quite easy to stay on, on task and, you know, and, and believe what you're doing is the right way to do things. But it's when you have dark days, whether it's a nine-game losing streak, whether it's getting sacked, whether it's, you know, losing your job for no apparent reason, um, just because of the way life rolls, um, you, that, that that is a true test. So um, I've had some, some downs as well as some ups, and, and I feel as though that some of the, you know, the, the biggest learnings for me as a coach have been those times when things haven't been going well. And I mightn't have handled them, you know, really well at the time, but after, you know, the dust has settled and the emotions removed from it, you reflect and you say, okay, well, what could I have done better? What did I do well during that situation? And and that's how you learn. That That's how you learn in any industry. And, and I think the thing with coaching, it's not like... It's no, there's no, there's no manual how to do it. There's no perfect right way to do it. There's no university degree that you go and study to become a coach. It's basically putting yourself in the limelight, make decisions that affect so many other people, and have to win games. So, it's a, it's a tough, um, it's a tough, I suppose, uh, job to to do because you know it's you don't know how well you're going to do it until you actually do it. And it's like being a head coach or an assistant coach. They're two different jobs, and a lot of assistants you know, go off to being head coaches and don't like it or don't succeed as much as they would like and you know, that that's just the nature of the of the job and that's what makes it so interesting. What was the biggest first mistake you made as a head coach? Um, I think one of the biggest ones was not letting um personal opinion uh well let personal opinion affect um judgment. Um I had a player in France and I didn't particularly get on well with him away from the game or away from training. I, I didn't like his personality, and that happens. You know, that's that doesn't mean you can't work with somebody. But on and I knew I knew this deep down. And on the field, he was he was costing us. You know, he was you know he wasn't you know um, adhering to our systems, and I kept giving him chance after chance after chance because I knew that. I thought, oh, you know, I, it, it, do I not want to pick him because I don't like him or do I not want to pick him because he's not doing the things that we're asking him to do? And eventually cost cost us a game down the track. And the lesson for me there was that, um, look, you know, you can have personal opinions and you can have, um, but you've got to keep, keep the professional ones professional. And I think ever since then, if there's been a player on the flip side that, you know, that I might have got on really well with and, you know, and and he's not playing well. Well, I've had to drop him, and likewise for the players that you don't particularly always see eye to eye with. So, it was a it was a lesson in making distinguishing between the two, and that that's hard to do because one of the key elements of being good coach is building relationships. You know, so um, but you still have to have that line there. You have to draw the line somewhere to say, no, I need to make the best decisions for the team and for the club. If you're the head coach, it's for the club. You know, and if you stick with that, um, you'll 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 make more right decisions than wrong decisions. And now back in a newer environment, new facilities, beautiful stadium, uh, and I have to ask you ahead of this season, how important was it to re-sign Tom Dearden? Oh, massive. I mean, I think you know it was a topic of conversation as soon as I arrived. And Tommy's a a great player, and and I think. Certainly, the future of the Cowboys. Um, he's, a, he's a leader off the field. He's a leader on the field. We see what he does with the ball in his hand. So, to keep that continuity, because obviously we've got Chatty Townsend here as well, and he's sort of you know the, closer to the end of his career than the start of his career. So, we need some stability in those halves. Um, and it was a huge coup for the club. And you know, to, to Tommy's credit, I'm sure he could have got 
more money elsewhere. But I think he, you know, was was very happy with what uh, Michael Luck and Toddy have, have sort of pitched to him in terms of where the club's going and the direction and, and what we want to achieve in the next few years. And he's certainly bought into that. And it's a it's a great coup for the club. You know, there's some great you know, younger players. You know. Um, Jeremiah Nanai um, is already represented Australia in State of Origin. Um, he's good. on the wing. Um, he's been outstanding for us. You know, we just seen you know, Scotty Drinkwater at the back. He's going to be knocking on the door of State of Origin with New South Wales this year. So there's a real good mix of really good young players coming through. So if we can keep those guys together, um, hopefully, you know, and, and healthy, um, you know, hopefully we can, can challenge for, for some honours at some point. Do you personally look forward to counters encounters against your old team? You're going to have to wait till round 14, but you'll be at home to face the Warriors. Do you personally sort of look forward to that and say, gee, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to get one over you? Yeah, I love it, you know, because, you know, I've still got a heap of mates, you know, talking to Webby just before Christmas and Rich and Stace and Bayland and obviously Cameron and all those people that are at the club. Of course you want to beat them, you know. It's the competitive juices that that drive you as a sports person or a sports coach that you want to win, but you certainly want to win against people that you've competed with or um, been part of in the past. And they'll, they'll be equally because obviously there's myself and Toddy, uh, Michael Luck, as I've already mentioned here, previous um, Warriors person. So always to, to win against your opposition is always nice and satisfying. And we often share a beer afterwards and have a bit of a chuckle. There's been, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I've come across a lot of different characters and people in my time, and I think that's that's one of the greatest parts of of footy or sport is that when you play or compete against you know somebody that you've worked with, and then you can sit down afterwards and you know just have a yarn and talk about the good times. And the great thing too for when the Warriors come and play up here is that they get here a few days early because of the long travel, so it's a chance even before the game to go and have a chat with the boys and you know and just say hello and. Because once you get into the season, you're so busy. It's, it's it's very hard sometimes with travel and getting to and from, you know, hotels and then recovery sessions. So it's nice that it's a nice long trip to the Warriors, so we can get a couple <laughs> of days to catch up. All right, I'm done with you. Yeah, it's coming close to ten o'clock at your place. You're, you're gagging for a coffee after jabbering to me. Hey, I hear, I believe you're you've got a, <laughs> your new fur baby. Is that right? Yeah, little one. Yeah, little uh, little bluey, little Australian cobber dog. So yeah, she looks a little bit like a labradoodle. So she's uh, keeping me busy at the moment. So she's just running around the yard at the moment, so exploring all <laughs> all the different smells and different things that are that are available to us. So yeah, yeah. So she's keeping me on my toes yeah. as long as the, as well as the boys. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that at least you don't have to pick up the poo bags uh, with the boys. Eh? It's just the just the just the fur baby. <laughs> Correct, correct. Hey, mate, uh, real lovely to talk to you, man. I haven't spoken to you for such a long time. We've got to keep uh, in touch as always, mate. Take it easy. Love to Jim, mate, and uh, look after your fur, baby. Yeah, good man, mate. Always great talking to you, and uh, have a great day, and uh, happy new year to everyone.